You're listening to Long Island's number one couples podcast. I'm Christian, the boyfriend. And I'm Alyssa, the girlfriend. And this is BFVGF. Subscribe for more podcasts and be sure to give us five stars wherever you stream us. Hello, everybody. How's it going? How you doing, Alyssa Boo? Hanging in there. You're hanging in there. You don't sound too happy. <laughs> you? No, I'm doing really good. How about you? I'm just surviving. You're surviving, not feeling 100%? Yeah. Okay, good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just being honest, you know, keeping it real. Yeah, yeah, keep it real. No, I'm very excited recording from a brand new podcast studio space, i.e. Christian's Basement. We have finally fully transitioned it's it's been months in the making since we first posted our episode on June third. I knew it eventually was going to come full circle back to Christian's basement. Yeah, I started in Alyssa's house, and now we're here. Yeah, we went from my basement to Christian's basement, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The battle of the basements. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's okay. We're slowly turning it in, into like our own space, and I think you can definitely see that. Yeah. Anything else we want to jump into right at the beginning here before we get into the main topic of the episode, Alyssa? I know you had some news you wanted to bring up for our BFVGF community. You may have had a procedure done recently. I don't know if you how far you want to get into that. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to keep it real because like, you know, for the sake of all of the women out there who might be listening, we're going to get real here. You know, I don't want to, um, what's the word? I don't want to, um, I want to keep it real. I don't want to like censor myself. I guess that's the word. You know what I mean? Yeah. Feel free to say whatever you want. Yeah. 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 So, um, basically I wanted to go on a birth control that was non-hormonal, um, because I felt like my birth control pills were like messing me up bad. I'm not going to get into detail with that because that's a little TMI. Um, so I decided to go the non-hormonal route, um, and I went with the copper IUD. So, so far it's been good, but I mean, it's a little painful. Yeah, 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 for sure. I know you told me, you know, that you originally on regular birth control, but having some issues there, not happy that it's really hormonal. And it seems to me at least like you're much happier with the IUD, even though there's certain things like, you. I mean, let's not get in too crazy detail now yeah. that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, it's definitely, there's more benefits, I think, with the with a copper IUD than there is with anything that's hormonal. And there's definitely a distinction there because I didn't even know this, but you told me you can get an IUD that releases hormones. And that kind of like, in my opinion, negates the point of getting the IUD. Yeah. I mean, my best advice is to just do your research and figure out like what works best for you, because I feel like everybody's different and everybody's body reacts differently to hormones. Some people can handle hormones. Um, I know with the IUDs that have hormones, it's a lot lower of a dosage of hormones than the pills. So some people can handle it and it's not a problem. Um, but I mean, for me, I decided against hormones. I just found out they weren't for me. And I didn't like the idea of, you know, having hormones mess up my whole perception like on life because if something messes with your brain, it could make you think and feel completely differently than like how you're supposed to, you know? It definitely for sure. You don't want anything. I mean, if you have to be on a medication for a certain reason, I understand. But in my opinion, you want to live that healthy lifestyle. You don't really want to be on any medication if you can avoid it. 
And I know you've had some issues in the past where they'll like put you on certain medicines. And I'm like, listen, just see if you can fight it out because it's like, because you never know if you get hooked on something and that's scary and to me. Yeah. But I mean, some people like hormonal birth control might be good for them, you know, but like I said, everybody reacts differently. So just like, you know, do your research and like, you know, try to monitor how you feel like if you when you're starting out and kind of try to like see compare like how you felt previously to how you feel on it if you do decide to go on it just so you know like what you're getting into and if it does affect your mood or you know take down if you have like you know increased like anxiety or depression or any of that or there's so many other symptoms um of of, like side effects that come with the pill but keep track of like how different you feel because you know when I first like went on it for you know different reasons than normal. I mean, a lot of people are on it for the reason I was on it. Um, I found, I I didn't know about all the side effects because I was so young. So like I didn't research it and I didn't compare how I felt before and after. And like, I now I like, I couldn't even remember what it was like to not be on it. And like now I, I do feel a lot better. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. I think, though, we're now going to transition into what we were initially talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so back on track, you know, back to all of our listeners, because I feel like that little blurb there was kind of just for the women listeners, because I feel like guys can't relate as much. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine for all the ladies in the audience. But we were talking about this, I think, a couple days ago, if not last week, and I I knew a second we were talking about this, I was like, we have to talk about it on the podcast. And I had recently, then I had forgotten. And then today we were in the car going to get smoothies, tropical smoothie cafe, love town. You know, what's up? Shout out. And I was just like, I I was reminded of it. I asked you how we got into the conversation. I was like, we absolutely have to talk about it, especially now that I was like, listen, we can say whatever we want. Who cares? Right. So the premise of, I guess the conversation, it's not really debate. The discussion really is how Gen Z, which I guess is people like, well, I know millennials like to the year 2000. So I like to consider myself a millennial. And I would think, I'm not sure if Alyssa would consider herself the same thing. So we were actually born on the millennium. Alyssa, do you consider yourself a millennial? Well, actually Gen Z, I think is from 98 to 2000 and like seven or eight. Oh, damn. I don't even know that. So I had that backwards. Oh, so like Gen Z is actually like from 98 up to what'd you say? Like 2007 or 2008. Gotcha, gotcha. So and that, then alphas after that. Okay, we don't care about the alphas. But <laughs> yeah, they're too young to know what they even are. Um, but for Gen Z... Millennial... I can't, I can't speak. Oh, uh, millennials are actually like a lot older than you'd think. Like they're like later 20s, 30s. Yeah, which is crazy to me. So yeah, that's what I was trying to guess. I, I guess say in my head is that although we're not considered millennials, I still consider myself one. Number one, because we were born on the millennium. I know, not really a great argument, but also how I'm living in my parents' basement. So to me, that's a real selling feature on being a millennial, living up the dream of being in the basement. But ultimately, Gen Z, which I guess we are a part of officially on paper, whatever you want to call it. We are. We're, we're pretty Gen Z. So put simply, Gen Z is fucked. We are <laughs> yeah. so screwed. Mm-hmm. In every way. And I really want to rehash the conversation that Alyssa and I had had in the car ride. I was driving her back home. 
um, one day and we were just getting into this conversation and we were just hitting on so many awesome points that she was bringing up and things that I've read and that I know about. So I was like, listen, we got to talk about it. So Alyssa, why don't you walk us through just the beginning of how we got into the conversation about how we're all screwed, people our age and whatnot. Well, I believe that it began with a conversation about TikTok. Um, and we were discussing how, uh, you know, we were talking about how the president was trying to ban TikTok and how he gave it like 45 days before he would ban it if an American company doesn't buy it. And we were basically talking about how there are like so many more important issues going on right now, especially with our generation. And just to be clear, like I don't really consider this even so much a political spectrum type issue. It's more about an our generation issue because I talked about it with my mother and she like believes in everything I was saying to her because I feel like, you know, all of our points, I feel like both sides for the most part can come together on a lot of these issues because I honestly, I feel like both sides are like the important people, like the people running, the people trying to be president they're all screwing us over, essentially. Like, both parties are not for us, just to put that out there. If you identify with a party, you're only identifying with it because that's what you see. And that's the only people that you feel have the closest beliefs to you. But obviously, it doesn't mean that everything that they're saying is everything that you're feeling or thinking, right? Essentially. 100%. We're recording this right now. The D, uh, what should I say? The Democratic National Convention just happened this evening. And everybody who was, uh, instead of like having real presentations in a live audience, it's all like video recordings and a lot of it's pre-recorded. A lot of the individuals they had on there, Michelle Obama, I, I mean, I would even say to an extent, Bernie Sanders, Governor Cuomo, John Kasich, a Republican and other Republicans, doesn't matter how, what, what side of the political spectrum you are on or how far you are on that spectrum, understand that no one is really for you to an extent. I want to get into that argument. There are definitely some more politicians who I believe have more favorable viewpoints, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But ultimately, if the establishment is in rule, i.e., whether it be Donald Trump or Joe Biden, it really is, as they said with the Hillary election in 2016, a lose-lose, in my opinion. But so let's roll it back a little bit, because we were talking about how on TikTok, uh, well, at least I was bringing up about how you're blowing up, obviously. You're doing quite well. Kind of, I guess. I don't want to, you know, I want to be stay humble. Like, I'm not I'm not blowing up that much. It's like, you know, keeping it real. I mean, I'm still a real person. Yeah, you haven't let the fame get to your head yet, but... <laughs> yeah. Or at least not that you show, but <laughs> on TikTok. But ultimately you're doing really well you're posting like every day mm -hmm. multiple times a day every video is getting thousands of views some of them get more than others but all that matters is what i've observed is that you're getting upwards of like a hundred if not more followers a day and so just like thinking about that from a purely logistical perspective or i guess you could say numerical way is that if you get a hundred a day in 10 days you have an extra thousand and it's amazing because the more and more followers you have, the more and more people see your videos, they like it, they share it, they comment it, a comment on it, I should say, and then it just blows up further. And so you expedite or expedite, I should say, the follower process. So very soon, I mean, 
you're over like 6K now, 6.1K, just crossed that threshold earlier today. You know, definitely, I would, I can definitely see by the end of the month you being at like 8 to 10K. And then when you're at those numbers and you're having a consistent viewership, I guess you could say, then more and more people are going to be exposed to your content. You're going to be in more people's For You pages. And maybe instead of 100 a day, maybe it's 500 a day or something crazy like that. And it's really amazing how on TikTok, your fame just really compounds unlike any other platform, whether it's Instagram or YouTube, it's very hard to blow up. But TikTok is very unique in that sense. And we talked about that on the previous episode, or no, I shouldn't say previous episode, but a couple episodes ago about how Lissa's becoming TikTok famous. Everybody, if you haven't listened to that episode, really fun treat. Go listen to that about how to blow up on TikTok and whatnot with Alyssa and I. But so ultimately, Trump, everybody knows, he was like, listen, TikTok, you banned. You out of here. Mm-hmm. It was like earlier in August. He was like, listen, you have 45 days. And that date happens to be, I should say, the end of the 45-day period is September 20th. And so obviously school starting very soon. It's later August, mid to late August here. And I was like, Alyssa, like, what are you going to do? Because like, I'm really happy that you're gaining this huge following, but what happens if it gets banned? And I, it was kind of like a rhetorical question. I wasn't actually asking you to answer that question because it's obviously a very hard question to answer. You know, what other social media platform would you want to pick up? Uh, pick up? Who knows? But ultimately, the point we were trying to get at, yes? Well, real quick, the answer to that, in my opinion, would just be that there would, if not right away, like very soon after, um, if obviously if Microsoft or another company doesn't buy them out, there would just be another platform that's exactly the same to replace them because that's exactly what happened essentially to Vine was replaced by Instagram and then TikTok. So I feel like constantly if, if the people want it, if the demand is there, it's going to be there. Trump, yeah. Trump can't destroy it completely. It's, there's going to be another platform. Absolutely, yeah. And we talked about on the TikTok episode about Instagram already has reels, and I'm sure you would take that up or some other platform that would eventually implement it. But ultimately, what I was trying to get at is how Trump is focusing on things that are really like superficial, that maybe he feels hurts his ego, and maybe like aren't super important relative to the fact that like, around like 15 at the time of this recording like 1500 people are dying a day from coronavirus i had a list to look up the stats earlier today and in new york we're doing really bomb like no new deaths today at least that i'm aware of only like 50 cases in nassau county or 26 i think which is like really low and so like people are getting out people are doing things but it's just like there's other issues at at hand and we didn't stay too long eventually we rounded the circle back to the political topic, but then we eventually got into about how, like, listen, I understand Trump is upset with China. Like, obviously, they're in, you know, a trade war, have a lot of disagreements. Trump has pinned uh, significant portions of his campaign, his initial um, campaign in 2016, definitely today, on, you know, being anti-China and trying to rival them and whatnot. And uh, good for him, but I just think there's other bigger issues at hand. But in China, it's really interesting because they have, well, I'm trying to think about exactly how the conversation went. Ultimately, I was like, listen, I understand that China is a threat, but at the same time, and they're, you know, they're authoritarian in some aspects, but they're obviously a more communist country. Um, which they inherited um, after Mao Zedong died, who was the former Communist Party leader there and was eventually taken over by, um, I'm not sure if it's whether Prime Minister or uh, President uh, Xi Xi Dipong or something like that. I think they just call him President Xi. I'm not sure. 
but ultimately how it's really more of a communist society with cap. I, let, me, let me put it like this. It's founded on um, on communist roots under Mao Zedong when they eventually beat Chiang Kai-shek and the fascist um, or, or nationalist party, I guess you could say. But ultimately, it has a lot of capitalist uh, uh, aspects to it. Um, definitely through the implementation. I'm not sure if Alyssa knows this, but they had this whole period under the new pri- uh, president, I guess, um, of the four modernizations in which they had areas where they, w- they would improve in like industry, um, agriculture, science and technology and the military. And they all moved to a more free market, liberal capitalist society, even though they're still communist in many respects. And I would say they're definitely a communist country. I mean, there are like zones where they, let me put it like this. And this is eventually where the conversation went about how TikTok is very similar in a sense to a lot of apps in the United States. So let's get back on track, I guess, in some sense. I guess I went a little too far (laughs) on that IR deviation there. But ultimately, my argument was how, you know, Trump is so worried about China and this national national security threat with TikTok because they're either in, I don't believe they're owned, but they're heavily influenced by the Chinese government. That is for sure. And I won't get into de- too much, how much detail about how that is, but there's many ways, you know, censoring people who are covering the, um, uh, the hol- like the Holocaust that's going over there, the Uyghurs and whatnot, and shunning people who make videos about that. But let's not get too far down the IR spectrum. Let's keep the viewers engaged, I guess, Alyssa. But ultimately how I I think that Instagram and Facebook are, and maybe Snapchat, I'm not sure, are very much so the United States counterpart to TikTok because a lot of the national security threats they cited um, and then that are, that TikTok is accused of is like, you know, tracking your location, taking your, taking in your information so they can shoot targeted ads towards you, you know, apps connect, talk to one another, Facebook could leech off your Safari history to then give you proper ads, right? And so the whole idea is like, you know, TikTok is owned by, or, you know, it's owned by ByteDance, which is a company and they're either owned or heavily influenced by the Chinese government. But I'm like, sis, it's the same thing in the United States. Just how TikTok, I'm sure, takes government subsidies from China, Facebook, Instagram. How many social media companies here in the United States are fostered domestically before they are put into the free market to be competitive? You know? Yeah. And honestly, my thinking is that, like, if there's somebody out there who's truly so important to the point where they have like super sensitive information on their phones um regarding like you know national like our our government and like you know if if they really have like super important information there that china shouldn't be seeing then maybe that person like shouldn't have social medias at all on that phone because like that would be a threat regardless of the country like those are just you know important sensitive data or data about like the u.s that you know and they just shouldn't have any social media at all and for the most part i mean i know for me i don't really have anything that threatening on my phone like i don't have anything i'd really care so much about you know companies seeing about me and i feel like as a consumer in the united states um and like i feel like i have the choice um, to download what I want to download. And every app, I mean, at least in the iTunes app store or whatever, is required to have like terms and conditions. And as far as I know, I don't think um, 
TikTok um, forgot to disclose important information. I'm pretty sure it's all in the terms and conditions. So if people are agreeing to it and they're not taken aback by it and, you know, they feel fine giving that information, then as an American and a free country, I feel like I should be able to download an app if I want the app and I don't see a problem with it because I don't feel the need to protect my information as I don't think it is something that would, you know, put the U.S. in danger regarding national security. My first thought when I heard about this whole thing was like, I was thinking maybe the government thinks that China is like brainwashing all of us through TikTok to like want to be, you know, communist or something. But all, I mean, if you truly have the app and you go through it, all the content you see is content posted by people in your country. So all the content I'm seeing and all the content mostly that, um, all the, all my content that goes out there is mostly really just being seen by people in my country. I mean, there are some people out of the country who see my content, but for the most part, um, it sticks to like, you know, your own country when you're on TikTok. So if that's the concern, then I mean, there's no reason for that to be concerned because we're just seeing the ideas of other Americans mostly. You know, as you spoke, I've, I'm slowly remembering the direction in which our initial conversation took. And so the whole point of at least the TikTok mention and that whole little tangent there is ultimately ultimately how Trump is so focused on TikTok um, and, and China. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if China went around and said, well, you know what, we're going to ban Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat. Honestly, in hindsight, I think those points are moot because I believe a lot of those apps are, believe it or not, already banned in China. And I wasn't aware of that when we initially had this conversation. But I guess the whole point is how, okay, so TikTok steals our information, but how are our companies, you know, any better? Yeah. And, you know, China's banning our apps, but I think part of that is because they have a communist government, so they can do that. We're supposed to have a free government you know, where we can do whatever we want. If we're, we start banning apps, then aren't we becoming what we fear? Like we're becoming more and more like a communist nation if we're controlling the media. It's all about branding. One of the things that have come out about TikTok is how it's apparently tracking your location. Okay, sis, have you ever used Waze or Google Maps to go anywhere? How do they show you your direction? How do they show you where there's traffic? It's because they're literally tracking your location and seeing your proximity to other cell phones also using either Google Maps or Waze. But the problem, I mean, I could, I guess you could say the good thing there for the U.S. corporations is that they have that, you know, like, you know, brand of approval. Oh, we much rather have Google or Microsoft own TikTok than China own TikTok. Because for some reason, we think United States corporations are any better and not screwing us over like Chinese corporations. It's just a big mess. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a user of TikTok, you would know that you need your location tracked because part of the appeal of TikTok is that your For You page is full of mostly content that is from creators in your area. Like I've noticed being on Long Island, I see people I know on my For You page. I see other people around the state. And when I took a road trip, I saw people in that state. So a huge appeal of TikTok is the fact that it tracks your location to show you content that's applicable to like where you are. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, like I said, I feel like if our government starts controlling what we can and can't see, I feel like we're slowly becoming, as you could say, the enemy. We're slowly becoming what they feared. We're, we're becoming China. 
a hundred percent. And we're going to get into in a little bit about how they just, it's small steps, little things where they like, all of a sudden we're going to start banning apps and then we're going to put, you know, you know, um, federal, um, officers into cities to go after peaceful protesters or whatnot. And we're going to get into that, but ultimately to bring the point home, or I should say, um, go back to the whole idea about how Gen Z is ultimately screwed over. I remember how a conversation leading into from the whole TikTok fiasco and how Trump is focusing on this when there's really other issues at hand is really how, and ultimately how this is all a distraction from the real problems in society. And that's the big overarching theme. I think I definitely want to um, portray and give you guys, but it eventually our conversation leading into how from TikTok and communism about how in the United States, Trump and Republicans just calling it like it is are using fear mongering of China being communist, even though they're like not that crazily, you know, they're not like, it's not so extreme, you know, it's not Marxist. There's, there's, it's definitely communist though. But at the same time, they're using this argument that if Joe Biden is president, that he is a far left, he's further than Bernie Sanders and he's communist. And there's people in my own family that are fervent believers of this. And I'm like, well, then you know nothing about politics if you truly believe that sleepy Joe Biden is going to be a communist. It's just, in my opinion, these are all tactics used, you know, for, for the, on the Democratic side, I guess you could say, because I'm all about, you know, being fair and balanced, as Fox News would put it, even though mm -hmm. they're not necessarily are. Um, on, on, the, on the Democratic side, they definitely used Russiagate, which is 100% a conspiracy, not confirmed in any way. Whether Trump has dealings with Russia before he became president, I don't care. I'm not interested. But they, because Hillary Clinton lost and they can't accept their own failure, they had pushed this whole conspiracy that it was because of Russiagate and because of Russia that Hillary Clinton lost. No, no, no. Hillary Clinton lost against the most unpopular person for president because she had policies that did not inspire anybody. Instead, she was just another corporate Democrat that thought just because she's not a Republican, she deserves your vote. And she actually won the popular vote, but it turns out in the end, she didn't win. But ultimately, this is all a distraction from what's really going on. For Republicans, I, this is what I would say to them. You can't use fear-mongering and scary words like communism and socialism to distract from what's really going on in society. Because the people at the top are just laughing about how screwed over we are as they continue to steal our wealth, continue to steal our jobs and whatnot, shipping them overseas, whether it be NAFTA or suppressing. Here was another great point we brought up about how another big Republican talking point right now is about how, you know, we got to cut the unemployment insurance because people are making more money off of on, off of their job and on unemployment, $600 a month. It's not, it's obviously not that now they since cut it, but more than they were working. And I'm like, no, 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 we can't. They're like going after, I guess, unemployment insurance. They would call it an entitlement. I'm like, no, no, no. You're just exploiting labor. I mean, am I wrong in that? If people, if somebody is making more money not working, then maybe we need to pay them, you know, a reasonable salary. I mean, why is it that when you go to work for a lot of these companies, such as a Walmart, such as Walmart, I should say, that when you apply for a job, they also give you an application uh, for Medicaid, which is obviously for low-income individuals who make under, you know, the federal poverty level, which I don't know what it is, 18,000 or something around there. You shouldn't be able to have a full-time job 
and still be poor. That shouldn't be a thing. You should, if you have a full-time job, you should at least have enough to buy food and pay for rent, you know, and still have a a reasonably decent life. A hundred percent. But ultimately, Trump and the Republican Party is using this whole, like, Joe Biden is a communist and we can't have him be president. This is all just a distraction. And I see it, whether it's with, you know, family members or individuals I know or other people out on the street or whatnot, they truly believe that if Joe Biden is president, that he is going to, you know, turn this country into communist China. I'm like, sis, you don't even, like, these people have probably never traveled. They're not cultured. They don't understand how the world works. That would never happen in the United States. But ultimately how this is all a distraction from what's going on in the world today. And just on the topic of right-wing positions, ultimately they're saying now, or I guess a common trope is is that Republicans say how these people on the street, they're protesting, they're rioting, you know, it's they're like, oh, it's because they don't they don't have jobs, they're not working. And I'm like, dummy, that's the exact reason why they're on the streets. Because instead of every other country virtually during this pandemic who actually addressed the issue, we chose not to furlough our, furlough our workers and pick up like upwards of 70% of their paycheck, which I believe the UK and a lot of other countries in the European Union have done. Instead, we just said, you know, capitalism for the poor and the worker and socialism for the rich. We bailed them out $5 trillion available through um, Steve Mnuchin, as, you know, Secretary of the Treasury Department, they can give it to whatever corporation they want, Boeing, big, I'm, listen, I mean, it's huge numbers. I mean, I don't have the exact number right. It could be 60 billion, but I believe it was 70 billion bailed out to Boeing. And also the CEO got a 70 million, uh, a president, whoever he is, he retired or like he left with a $70 million package. So while people are out on the streets because the United States government didn't protect their jobs, the 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 uh, Trump and the Republican Party is saying, look, they're not working. This is the worst of society. We don't want cities to turn like this. Meanwhile, people at the top are just leeching off the system because they know when we're old enough and Mitch McConnell, Obama, all these establishment people, whether on the right or the left, once they're gone and they're dead and ideally people our age eventually come into power if we're able to break through that wealth barrier, because in the United States, you need to be some part of a dynasty or have a lot of money eventually to get into politics, that we're going to like be like, listen, you screwed us over. And we eventually have to take some part of our democracy and our independence back that we've lost as the voter. Yeah, because the whole thing um, that you were just talking about with uh, people getting laid off, um, I mean, I was just thinking, who are the, what's the main demographic of the people who are laid off most likely, most likely. So I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, so people like my parents and your parents, Christian, they're, you know, they've been working their jobs for a while. A lot of them, a lot of people are like tenured and they don't have to to worry about losing their jobs. So the people who'd be more susceptible to losing their jobs would most likely be people who are relatively new to companies, right? Because that's just how it goes. Yeah, you usually go in order of seniority. You know, the person who has been with the company the least is usually the first person to be let go, regardless of their qualifications. And I was thinking, okay, so the new workers, those are most likely going to be people who are Gen Zs, you know? And then I was thinking people who are in our generation probably recently graduated who was screwed over the most with student debt and student loans and all that good stuff gen z 
So if you think about it, all of these people who are most likely laid off, a lot of them spent spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college just to be told, okay, well, you're going to have to pay off a little bit of your loans every month. So you said, okay, and you got a job right out of college probably. And now you're laid off and now you're stuck with all this debt and you're you're stuck not being able to pay rent. Now you might be on food stamps, who knows? Your unemployment checks, who knows if you can even uh, get to unemployment because, you know, it's very hard to get in contact with them nowadays. So for the most part, Gen Z has been the most screwed over. And real quick, I even talked to my mom and I said to her because she uh, didn't come up with like a college fund for me or anything. So I was thinking about it and I was like, mom, like when, when I was a baby, when you were thinking about, you know, when, when I would go to college and stuff, like things that you barely probably crossed your mind at the time, you know, did you ever think that college would cost as much as, as it does today? Like, did you think like, you know, a year of college would be like over 20,000 like dollars, essentially, maybe a little bit less depending on where you go, whatever. And she was like, of course not. Like college was a lot, it was a lot cheaper in 2000 when I was born. So right off the bat, obviously she wasn't going to save up if she thought at the time, you know, by the time she's in college, we'll have enough to pay for it. It won't matter. College isn't expensive. You don't think that the rate of college costs would not go up at the same level as um, income. You don't think that they're not going to connect. You think that they'll go up together, you know? So I was thinking about it and I'm like, technically, like all of our parents are also screwed over along with us because nobody was anticipating the raise of college costs. So we're all being screwed over by the people in power, by both sides. Nobody's for us. 100%. To answer your question, or I guess your observation about how college was so much cheaper back then, there's a very simple, easy to read chart that everybody can look up. I'm not sure what the exact name of it is, but ultimately it's this. And it's like from 1989 all the way up through the present. So ultimately, worker productivity, if you're looking at this chart, like on X and Y axis, is an exponential graph. It's 100% skyrocketed. People are working and producing more than they ever have before. But minimum wage and workers' salaries has stagnated. It's it's flatlined, to call it an extreme. So, I mean, obviously college is way too expensive. There's nobody, I mean, even if you have the money to pay for it and you get no financial aid, at a lot of institutions like mine, 80K a year. You know, and that's just living on campus. That doesn't take into account like all the other expenditures that you might do that are outside of school that you might just do in the local area of your college. So you're looking at 240K for four years. And I don't care who you talk to. It happens to be that a lot of, you know, rich individuals tend to be pretty picky with their money. They don't necessarily spend it all. So if my kid came to me and it doesn't matter how rich I am, 240K, I'm like, listen, that's expensive. You got to make sure you're, you know, you get the point. It's very expensive for anybody across the spectrum unless you're Jeff Bezos. And it's just crazy because now we live in a society where it's, it, my father's like, oh, yeah, no brainer. You need, you can't get a job unless you have a college degree. And this goes into the whole idea about how, I don't know if it's necessarily my parents' generation or maybe the generation just before him, so like my grandparents. They had the GI Bill, which was, you know, for the, for the, um, the vets when they came back from war and they were able to get a free college education. You know, would people call that an entitlement and a handout today? I mean... Yes, but because it's in our history, we just accept it as such. Both Republicans and Democrats, 
want to just give all the money, if they're corporate, I should say, to the rich. And ideally, both Republicans, Joe Biden said he wants to slash Social Security. Trump, even though he says he doesn't want to, that's a trip, that's like standard for the Republican Party. They keep pushing it back. So you're eventually going to die before you get your Social Security. We only accept it because it was in our past and in our history. But if, you know, corporations and individuals who are bought by those corporations had it as they were, would want it today, our society would look even worse and even more oppressed, you know, wage-wise and whatnot than it, than it is today. But ultimately, our parents, and we got into this, you know, with our in our conversation in the car about how, because it's all about perspective, it doesn't really matter who wins the presidency because we they see no change. And so they're in that sense, they're very comfortable. And so they're like, listen, these people are out there protesting. What are they doing? They should get a job, you know, go to college and whatnot. But what if when you wanted to go to college, you couldn't afford it? You know, my father, he couldn't, he had to beg his father. My dad had to beg his father to get, I think it was just $400 to go to the local community college or whatever it was. And that was expected because my father came from nothing. It was really hard. So I guess in some sense, my parent, my father understands that. But a lot of individuals who are sitting pretty in their, you know, suburban house today, they're just being brainwashed, whether it's MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, to just accept, accept the status quo as normal. And so that's why they don't understand why young people are upset because to us, this is, I mean, we're, this is the normal we live in, but you know, we want to change the system as every generation before us. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, like, I've, I've looked at studies and stuff and the average age of people getting married, having kids, um, it's, it's gone up significantly. So now we're looking at people who aren't getting married and having kids until their mid thirties. People, it's a norm now for people to live at home until they're into their thirties, well into their thirties. And like the fact that that's a norm is just sad and disheartening because I don't want to think that when I'm in my thirties, I don't have my own house and my own life. Like, I just feel like it's crazy. And so here's what's happened. The government ultimately, which is, you know, granted, you know, um, I guess sovereignty over its citizens by popular sovereignty, popular sovereignty, excuse me, meaning that the citizens, you know, give certain rights to the government ultimately to rule over us. We do vote for president, even though both options may not necessarily be the best for, you know, us, no matter whether you're, you know, right or left. But ultimately how, oh my God, I just forgot the point I was going to make. What were you just talking about? How uh, the average age of like, Getting married, having kids. Exactly. So the government has ultimately abdicated responsibility for the citizens. Back then, I mean, people make the argument about FDR. We need a new FDR, a new, a new New Deal. They say over and over again. And some aspects I agree with, some I don't. But the overarching, overarching theme makes total sense. And that it's that FDR is arguably one of the greatest, if not the best, presidents. I mean, he was elected president four times. He was doing such a great job, right? And why is that? It's not necessarily because he was such a great guy. It was because he had kick-ass, phenomenal policies that adapted to the situation, even if he didn't necessarily want to implement them. Some that just come to my mind, which we take for you know granted today, Social Security. That's a big one. But things that aren't around today anymore, public works projects, the Public Works Administration that employed thousands of Americans to you know build all the highways 
I believe 90, Highway 95 was built during that time, which is the big cut through that everybody drives, right, from Maine all the way to Florida. When you go to Florida or South Carolina, whatever, Alyssa, it's the highway your parents, I'm sure, take. They hired thousands of unemployed Americans to build build up Appalachia and build up America and the infrastructure that we have today, you know? And so it's just, we don't have something like that today. Instead, we just call people protesting, being upset at this happening. You know, nobody knew the coronavirus was coming, arguably, except the president of the United States. And to some extent, he has done nothing and he's really pushed it to, you know, the side today. He doesn't really want anything to do with it. And I don't believe Joe Biden wants anything to do with it as well, except use it as a talking point to go after Trump for not doing enough. You know, it's just, you know, whether it's coronavirus, China, ultimately just distracting about how, you know, the United States is really screwing over the young people and not doing anything for them. Because Alyssa, what presidential candidate can you think of, if any, that has offered something for you other than Bernie Sanders? And I have a lot of issues with Bernie Sanders, but at least he was willing to, you know, wipe out, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the college debt, which, you know, a, you know, a lot of older people, Republican or Democrat, they're like, listen, that's a handout. Like, but do you understand like the perspective of a young person going into the workplace and the economy today? A lot of people who are already in high positions look down upon young people because they were granted that. It was bestowed upon them either through their father was like in finance or something or their nepotism or whatnot. It's always people at the top who we eat. A lot of people get there on their own. Listen, I understand Jeff Bezos. Yeah. What were you going to say? It's. It was a lot easier back then for people to get on their feet. Like, think about it. Like, it probably wasn't even that long ago, but there was a time when it was normal for you to turn 18, move out, um, go to college, get a job. And it was all, it just all just happened. You get married by like 22, have kids at like 25, 26. And, and life was just a breeze. But listen, like, we can't do that now. Like with with the prices of college, the effect that's that's had on so many people's lives, you don't even understand. Like I was watching a YouTube video about a really popular YouTuber who I thought seemed like pretty well off because she was successful. You know, like I knew who she was. She was famous. She was making a video talking about how her debt from college, from college, and she's like well into her 30s now, was making it impossible for her to buy a house as a 30 something year old. She couldn't buy her own house with her fiance. So she couldn't even like, she couldn't even start a life. And she's well into her thirties. When are you supposed to start a life when you're halfway dead? Listen, I thank God or whoever every day that I go to a great school and Alyssa has great looks because through both of those paths, we can eventually be to some degree successful. And by successful, I don't mean necessarily rich. I mean, just getting by, you know? It takes, and that, you know, a lot of young people, they call us disconnected, but we've moved into, I guess you can say, quote unquote, being self-entrepreneurs because what other path do we have? Because if you're not necessarily good in school, is this just going to be, you know, capitalism for the poor, survival of the fittest? So you, you, you're, you're destined to just have like a awful job working for below minimum wage and being screwed over. So we move into making content or doing other things that we can do as other sources of income. And immediately when we try to break out in our own way, what do old people say? Oh, like, and it's so looked down upon by established media and whatnot. Are you too? Oh, you're a YouTuber. Oh, 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 you host a podcast. Only Joe Rogan has normalized podcasting. Otherwise, just a couple of years ago, 
it was very much so ostracized. People were like, what are you going to do? Listen? Don't you want to watch the news and hear about what's going on in the world? No, no, no. The news is fucking you over and, and, and not telling you the truth. They're telling you lies. And so people have to resort to, how do we live in a society where people trust Joe Rogan more than the president of the United States? Listen, all power to Joe Rogan. You don't know. He's got he's got some positions I like, some I don't. But it's people see him as being real. He's not a politician. He's not fake. You know, and so he understands what's going on in society, and he he's able to speak to that, and that's why I believe he's so successful. Other than having really great celebrities on, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, the federal minimum wage is like seven dollars and twenty five cents. It's twenty twenty. Exactly. Like if you're making more on unemployment then it's like shame on the United States government for not helping its people, not educating them and not doing more, not giving them health care, not doing enough to propel the society to higher standards. Instead, we just abdicate responsibility and say eventually personal agency has to come in. And I think personal agency is definitely an important role, meaning like picking yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, that's definitely a certain element. But it gets to an extreme where you ain't got no boots and you ain't got no straps and they're still telling you, you got to make it on your own. Well, it's like at some, I mean, I got to ask for help. You know, what are we going to do? Listen, when you're homeless and you have nothing left, like, like you have nobody, you have nothing, you own nothing other than the clothes on your body. Are we just going to let them, I mean, there's a moral aspect to it as well. You know, in society, it's all, it's like eat or be eaten. That's really big in like Wall Street and the financial world. But these policies and people who we choose not to help have such a vast implication in society. It's, it's absolutely absurd. If maybe we paid people a little bit more and maybe had affordable housing and were able to offer them a, a, like a quality job until they get on their feet, then we wouldn't have a homeless crisis. You know, if we had a more rehabilitative criminal justice system, as opposed to punitive, you know, and and tried to help drug addicts instead of just letting them be like, you know, death row in California. That's really popular. A lot of individuals who are just like t living in tent cities. LA is it's becoming a big problem now. A lot of them are drug addicts. I think the vast majority of them, I'm not sure the exact numbers, of course, were just regular people who lost their job. Yeah, I mean, if if you really think about it, put yourself in the perspective of somebody who may have lost their job lost everything where would your mind go like if you were somebody who maybe you lost your wife lost your family lost your job and you had nothing left I mean a lot of these people were just really depressed had no one to go to they turned to drugs it's sad but it's a reality for a lot of people and don't we want to be the people to help them and to tell them that there's more to life and to get them back onto their feet to help grow our economy with their help and here's the problem in our society we've just lost Empathy. Yeah, we have true. we have a complete inability. Literally, the fish rots from the head down from the president of the United States to all the way disseminated through every aspect of society. It's all you have to make it on your own. Nobody cares about you. It's no help, no empathy, no camaraderie, no solidarity, and it's just absolutely absurd. Yeah, I I'm just trying to think about other things I want to add onto it. It's just insane. You know, we just sit in our comfy homes and we just see what's, like I was saying before, these young people, but some are old as well, activists on the TV 
And they're trying to like, listen, like you're screwing us over and you're not helping us at all. What do you want us to do? We lost our job. That's why we're protesting. Like you get the, you get the joke, like you get the, catch the hint here. But instead we're just like, if you, listen, if you're not rebelling against the system when it's doing something wrong, then you're being brainwashed. Honestly, it's sad that we've let all of these. I'm rich- sorry. Let me just jump in real yeah. quick. Cause this <laughs> was the one point I wanted to make that I completely forgot about with the lack of empathy. Um, and just like trying to distract individuals from what's really going on in society. I had made the point that you reminded me of earlier today about how Roger Trump or Robert Trump, I don't know his name, which is Trump's like two year younger, older brother, two year younger brother, excuse me. So Trump was 74, I believe. So his brother was 72, recently passed away from an illness. They won't say what. And I had made the joke, well, if he had died from coronavirus, don't you think Trump would be like, well, we got to find a cure right away. And like, we have to do it. But it's just like, well, if he had coronavirus while his tr- while his brother was dying, wouldn't have he been working towards it this whole time? And so whether he is or isn't, you know, if I'm the president of the United States, my brother has an illness, I want to do something to help him, right? And, you know, it's just the whole idea of just like, well, obviously we don't know what he passed away of, God rest his soul, but I hate it when anybody dies. But it's just like we've com- lost complete empathy for one another and helping each other out 100% all the way throughout society. We just look down upon people who need help because we just we just call it entitlements. It's, I mean, the Democratic Party change. You can read it in Thomas Frank's book. It's phenomenal. Listen, liberal. It's so good. I recommend it to everybody out there who likes to pick up a book about how, you know, under Clinton, I mean, this the Democratic Party is not the party, of, it's, not, it's no longer the party of the working people. It's no longer part of the FDR, you know, it's really a party of Bill Clinton who had started this this whole idea of the new liberal, the modern liberal, and then and, uh, continuing under Obama, Hillary, uh, Cuomo, and whatnot about how we're moving away from being a party of the people and moving towards just being the party of the aristocracy and the white, educated, you know, upper class, not even middle class. Alyssa, you and I, we are classed out, or I guess you can say uh, sanctioned off from the true constituency of the Democratic Party. The I, the real, let me put it like this, the real constituency of the Democratic Party is working people. You and I, our parents, ideally we should be in the Democratic Party. But the real members of the Democratic Party are people at the highest positions in society who just want to maintain the status quo while they keep pressing younger individuals for their wages, make it where you need to get higher and higher degrees just to get lower and lower paying jobs, you know, and just ultimately leeching off the system as much as they can. Like I said before, if you lost your job during this pandemic and you're a regular worker, boo-hoo, go get another one. You're protesting on the street. Obviously, you're not trying hard enough. That's a big talking point. Meanwhile, the corporations at the top take the biggest handouts from the government. And I make this joke all the time. If the, I mean, if the banks in the 2008 financial crisis to do it, you know, a Democrat under Obama and the, and the plane industry and the yacht industry, or not the yacht industry, the cruise line industry, which is not even based in the United States, which is absurd, under the Trump presidency, so Republican or Democrat, they go under, right? They're out of business. What do you think happens? These are all numbers on a screen somewhere, Alyssa. And obviously this is all, I wouldn't say it's theoretical, but it's just, let me put it like this, it's not practical because this is how our society works. We're all bought and corrupt. Um, but ultimately, like when a bank goes under or when an uh, airline industry goes out of business, do the plane <laughs> do the planes just disappear? 
does the building evaporate? Oh, like, oh, wow, I guess that bank, you know, they say like a bank um, dissolved, like it, it's over. You know, it's like, I'm not sure if solvent's the right word, but ultimately about how that's it. They're no more. Do, do, do all these assets, the building, the physical assets, and where, where it's really capital intensive, do they just disappear? No. And I was talking to my aunt about this the other day when I was at her house. I was just like, well, the traditional Republican mindset is being anti-big government. But now we have a crisis and we're having the hugest government ever step in and bail out corporations. The hypocrisy there is unreal. And I was talking to my aunt and I was just like, with the airlines, I mean, I, it's such a funny point because it's so true. And it's just like so obvious um, that it's just like, I don't understand when people don't get it. Like, where do you think the planes go? No, somebody else is just going to buy them out and put another name on it. Maybe it won't be American Airlines. Maybe it will be, you know, like, even though this brand already exists, British Airlines or British Airways. I'm just saying like, somebody else will come, whether it's a United States individual or a foreign investment bank or somebody, will come and just buy up the assets and it'll have to be at a lower valuation and people will lose money, but those who rightfully so deserve to do so because they betted and broke the system. You know, in a true capitalist society, we don't care if you have a donut shop and like the coronavirus came and hit and you have no business, boo-hoo. You're out of business. We don't care about you, right? But the exact opposite is true. We will subsidize you and give you money if you're a big, here's the asterisk, if you're a big corporation that you have influence over United States politicians, only then will we bail you out. It's like I've said over the course of this whole episode, it's capitalism for the poor and socialism for the rich. And it makes just absolutely no sense to the young people and the young people understand this. And this is why they support, this is, you have to understand why they support people like Bernie Sanders. They call Bernie Sanders a far leftist. He's not. There's a difference between communism and, uh, uh, and uh, I don't want to say socialism, but democratic socialism. Listen, if, if, if they were the same thing, then countries like Sweden would look exactly like China. And the last time I checked, Sweden is not like, like, fomenting a holocaust of a Muslim minority in the country. That's all I'm going to say. So it's just like, obviously there's a spectrum. Like obviously, like people call Trump a fascist. He's not a fascist. He's not Hitler. I mean, he does things that inch closer towards it. Like let's just keep it real. Like putting out federal troops in US cities when they weren't asked for. That's very, I mean, he's not killing people, but it it's, it just doesn't look good because we, we think back to like the SS, you know, the secret police and the Gestapo of the Nazis going out and rounding people up. It just, it's the optics. It doesn't look good. There's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you're on the right or the left. And people, you know, no one's in the middle anymore. Everything's really partisan. There's no solidarity. It's just a real mess in the United States. And we use, the if you, like, like my, 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 People, family members, I I know, I don't want to name people, really believe that Joe Biden is a communist and that if he becomes president, this country will be like China. I'm like, then you don't understand politics at all. That nothing will fundamentally change over Joe Biden other than he'll have a D next to his name. I mean, after all, Trump was a Democrat once. He's best friends with the Clintons. The Clintons were at Trump's wedding. They're in a great photo. You can see all together smiling. Him, Melania, Hillary, and Bill. They're all, listen. I believe the comedian, he's since passed, George Carson or or George Carlin. You don't know him, but he has this famous clip. He's like, listen, it's a big club and you and I ain't in it. They're all friends. Listen, 
Trump was a Democrat and now he ran as Republican, he's Republican. So what? You don't think if Joe Biden and Trump went to dinner, they wouldn't be friends if they weren't, you know, presidents? Of course, because they're powerful people and they enjoy being around each other. So ultimately, whoever wins, the system will not fundamentally change and Gen Gen Z will just be fucked over no matter what. Yeah, I feel like we've given all of these like corrupt politicians our voice. Like we've let them speak for us when in all reality it's it's not our voice. It's and but we've been so brainwashed to believe like that's my voice. Like I identify with that side. In all reality, you know, these really really rich politicians, even if they identify different sides of the political spectrum, they're laughing at us behind closed doors because they're being bought out by big corporations. They're the voice of the rich and the wealthy and the powerful because wealth equals power. So essentially, we have absolutely no power. Even if we think we do, we're voting for people. No, it has nothing to do with us. And I wish that there was some way that a regular person could become president because I think the the most regular person would be the perfect person because There would be no corruption. But unfortunately, the only way to become president in the United States is to have enough. You need enough money to sponsor a huge campaign so people know your name. And if you don't have this huge campaign, you have no money, then you can't be president. So we're forced to have all these really, really rich politicians as our presidents who obviously are going to take buyouts. They're obviously going to be the voice for the people who pay them. The people who say, oh, my God, vote blue no matter who. I could not hate you more. You are so dumb. I'm sorry. You just don't understand. It's on the same. It's the same thing with. I mean, I'm not sure if there's Republican equivalent, but I wouldn't vote like red, no matter who either. Vote for who you identify with more. Um, the most important thing. I mean, in my opinion, be like independent to your own thoughts. Like, look up things, do your research, find the facts for yourself. Vote for whoever you feel the most connected to, not the party. Don't you don't have to connect with a party. Maybe register to vote only under the party you think you're closer associated with so you can vote in primaries. But like, that's about it. Like, you know, do your own research. Like I would like to stay independent because I don't want to be brainwashed by society because I don't feel the need to identify with something because here in America, we're all about labels when in all reality, nothing needs a label. If, if, if something you feel, you don't need to put a label on it. You know, you made that great point about how we need somebody who's just a regular Joe Schmo to be president and yeah. understand how the world works. But they also have to be educated as well as of well course. and understand how the world works. Um, and that's why Bernie Sanders um, was probably the best out of them all, uh, in my opinion. Let me make that clear. But ultimately, he turned out to just be a fraud. I wouldn't go as far and say he's a charlatan. But ultimately, how he doesn't really stand 100% with his principles. And let me explain. So obviously, in a democracy, the people who ideally represent you are beholden to their constituents. They have to do what the people want, right? Because we elect into office. Obviously, in the United States, that doesn't how it works. That's not how it works. And it's just hilarious to say that as a sentence. First of all, that the people we vote for don't actually represent us. But welcome to the United States of America. That's what I said. I said it's not our voice, even though we're supposed to be voting for the person to be our voice. And so the people who are most um, responsive to the voters who put them in place are like local representatives. We're talking people like school board members, people who are in in the state Senate seats, because they have to actually have a really strong ground game and be really good friends with community leaders in order to get the the vote out for them to get voted into office. But something happens when you get to the United States Congress. 
And it's either one of two things. When Now we're talking big leagues. There's first the state level and there's the federal level. So now you get into a federal office, right? United States congressman, United States House of Representatives, United States Senate. And one of two things happens. You are either completely bought out by the corporatocracy we live in, you know, the rule of corporations, because whether you're Republican or Democrat, you take money on the Republican side. They, you know, Trump took 30 million from the NRA at the same time on the Democratic side. They take a lot of money from organizations and lobbyists and whatnot to push certain positions. That's point one. And that's what happens to 99, probably 0.9% of individuals who are in Congress. But the rare few, such as Bernie Sanders, they fall victim to the second one, which is ego. And the desire to be universally liked by everyone. And I got news for you. You cannot make progress if you want to be liked by everybody. It's just, that's just not how the world works. And we saw this how, especially, you know, why is it Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, ideally on principle and policies, are diametrically opposed to one another in almost every way. Almost every way. I mean, I'm not going to go list them all, but, you know, how to implement, you know, expanding Social Security, Medicaid, you know, uh, and healthcare overall. That's just one point where they vastly, you know, differ on political views. But why is it that Bernie Sanders is now, he just gave a speech at the DNC saying, like, we need Joe Biden over Trump. Like, like, seriously? It sounds like he's just preaching vote blue no matter who. And here's why. Because I'm not sure if it was in an interview or in a book or something, it was revealed that secretly behind closed doors, Bernie Sanders is feared that he's going to become a Ralph Nader. Now, I believe Ralph Nader had um, had a, um, he had run like his third party or something like during the 2000 presidential election um, between Gore and Bush. But for a lot of other reasons that I don't necessarily remember at this time, he was ultimately, he was part of the Democratic Party, I believe, and he was ultimately ostracized because he wanted to push for too much change. He wanted to do too much. I think Ralph Nader is the one who famously got like seatbelts implemented as like state law, like, like as the law, like you need to wear seatbelts, which is a great change, but obviously you don't know who he is, right? And that's for a reason. Well, shouldn't we champion the individual who was able to push a regula- regulation that, that costs? Here's the problem. I mean, I'm just assuming because I don't necessarily know all the details, Implementing a seatbelt into every single car as a federal law probably cost a lot of money to car manufacturers. And I have a feeling they weren't a real big fan of that. And so when he eventually got that pushed, ultimately he got the boot from Congress and ultimately from the Democratic Party. And so Bernie Sanders has that ego and he's very scared, supposedly behind closed doors, that people are not going to like him anymore. Dude, whether it's speaking for the DNC, voting on the up to $5 trillion bailout for corporations... That was passed in response to the coronavirus, the CARES Act. Cares for nobody but the corporations. Are you kidding me? Dude, you just you just fell I don't, fell on your own sword is not the right um, analogy or phrase, but he ultimately, he crippled on, I'm not sure, I can't, I don't know what the right word is, but he fell back on his own principles. He did not stay true. So, and then, and so obviously he's, so Bernie Sanders is a lost cause and I've been telling you that for a while, Alyssa. There's, no, there's nobody coming to save us. And then the Democratic Party has the audacity during this primary. They're like, listen, we don't need Bernie. He's old and he makes no sense. Pete Buttigieg, we need this gay uh, uh, gay mayor. I was like, that's right. He is not even Congress, which is like, they think they're going to pull this over us, right? And there's nothing wrong with this gay. I'm just like specifying. And they're just like, listen, he has some really great ideas. He was for Bernie before. It's cool. 
But in reality, he's just bought out by corporations. He's corrupt all the same. And this whole notion, which is eventually the sent the final sentence of the Thomas Frank book, listen, liberal, really summarizes it. And I told Alyssa this. Ultimately, the Democratic Party is no longer the party of working people, and it needs to change and it can change, but only once we realize the problem with the system is us, meaning the United States voter. Because the Democratic Party will try to pull people like Pete Buttigieg, who are just a younger Obama, you know, like silver tongue, all they do is talk, and they make it sound really good when really they're screwing you over behind your back. And they just think that because they're not a Republican and they're not the evil Donald Trump or whatever, that they're good enough. But honestly, screw you. And if Trump and if Trump wins again, they will never learn their lesson. That's the thing. Because they're bought to not learn their lesson. They're told not to learn. Because they would put up any single they would put up anybody else other than Joe Biden if they really wanted to win this election. Joe Biden was crushing in the polls a couple weeks ago. Now they're virt- virtually tied. Donald Trump cannot 100 percent win this election and, and and you know and good if it happens, because the Democratic Party, its constituents who vote for them, blue no matter who. And the people at the highest level need to learn their lesson. And they just don't care because they're paid not to. It's so ultimately, I'm going to, Gen Z's fucked. That's the, yeah. that's the point. <laughs> Alyssa, we've been talking for about an hour now. I've talked your head off with politics. Any other point we want to bring up before we sign off here? I mean, I just, I completely agree with you. Everything you're saying, essentially, nobody's for us. So yeah, ultimately, Democratic Party is no longer the party of the working people. You know, under Clinton, all the way through to the present, um, they, t- they, they called it welfare reform back then, kicking people off of welfare. You know, numerous things we can go into that, but I won't talk your head off anymore. But ultimately, both parties are screwing us over. And um, yeah, I guess we're going to end on that negative note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's always hope. You can always, I guess, there's always something that um can be done it's just it just seems like the light at the end of the tunnel just happens to get further and further as we you know go through the election cycle over and over again as we see the candidates that are eventually put up and pushed by the um two-party system yeah i mean my best advice like i've been saying this whole episode just think for yourself even if you don't agree with us or with the news or with whatever party the most important thing is that you're letting yourself come up with your own opinions and you're not letting anyone else come up with them for you. So whether you agree with me or not on any of these things, let yourself come up with your own thoughts. Be your own person. Look over these policies because government's going to affect you in one way or the other. Look over your policies. You know, try to strive for something that you really believe in, you know? Don't just follow the masses. 100%. So on that note, thank you all for joining us. Be a free thinker. Yeah. You know what's right and what's wrong. Damn straight. (laughs) (laughs) We'll catch you all in the next one. Love y'all. All All right, (laughs) bye-bye.